Hello, you are listening to Second City Sermons, a ministry of Second City Church in Midtown Harrisburg. From now to the end of April, we are going to be in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to journey with the disciples up to the cross on Good Friday, and from there, the Easter narratives of Luke, some of the most beautiful stories in Scripture. We hope you can join us maybe here online on this podcast, or even better in person. We'd, we'd love to meet you. So we hope you'd consider joining with us on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. right here in the heart of Midtown Harrisburg. You can also find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope you enjoy this sermon. God bless. Lord, uh, we're thankful for your word. Um, God, even these images that are before us of... Uh, you being mocked and beat by these men. God, we're thankful even for this passage, Lord, of you being put on trial. And we pray, Lord, that you do work in our hearts, that, uh, that we would wonder what we are to be taught and you would teach us this morning from these words. God, thank you that you are alive and that you're active and that you're working. We pray even now that you would teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Jed mentioned earlier that there are some broken things around the church, and one of them this morning was that our printer wasn't working. And so I'm going to be preaching from my um, laptop, which I will admit that I really don't like doing. This has happened a few times before if you've been around over the years. We probably have this happen about once a year or something like that. But I find it much more challenging to do this. I want to uh, in, uh, begin the sermon this morning by uh, asking you a couple questions, okay? Um, and the first question is just this. Why do you follow Jesus? Why do you follow Jesus? Uh, and, well, the, the fact is, is that actually in a, in a group this size, and maybe, you know, some people probably are watching online, there's, a, there's a, another uh, side to that question, and it's this, for some of you, uh, why do you not follow Jesus? Maybe, maybe there's some people here in this space, or maybe there's people gathering around uh, and watching online, and um, maybe somebody, you know, brought you along, or they're inviting you to watch, and maybe they've been bringing you along for a long time, and you just can't, you can't tell them, hey, I actually don't want to do this anymore. I'm kind of done with Jesus. Uh, I've had my fill of him. He's taught me what I wanted to learn. And I'm kind of done. Time to move on. Um, what I, what I want to suggest to you this morning is that there's an awful lot of people. There's an awful lot of religious people. There's a lot of people even that claim Christian faith that are in the whole Jesus business for what they can get out of it, for what they can get out of him, um, how they can use Jesus, how God can be convenient for them. Uh, think with, back with me uh, just a couple weeks, okay, here in Luke chapter 22, uh, which is a very, very long chapter. Tim Cope actually mentioned a few weeks ago that I could just do a whole series on just Luke chapter 22, but we are at the end of it this morning. Um, But think back to me a couple weeks to the arrest of Jesus, Um, right? There was this crowd that came 
Uh, and Matthew tells us with swords and clubs to arrest him. And they were being led um, by Judas, who had found it actually more convenient to toss off his Lord, his rabbi, uh, for, for some money. Um, and you'll remember that Jesus spoke to Judas and he says this. Will you betray the son of man with a kiss? But actually in that narrative, if you remember, the most of what Jesus uh, said was not actually to Judas uh, or to Peter, remember, who cut, cuts off Malchus's ear, um, but actually to the chief priests. And Luke tells us specifically to the officers of the temple that were there and to the elders. Jesus says this, uh, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you didn't lay hands on me. Which in some ways Jesus is saying, you know, when I was in your space, because Luke specifically mentions officers of the temple. When I was in your space and all these crowds were coming to hear me, and it seemed to kind of bolster your situation maybe a little bit. Everybody coming to the temple, maybe some people putting their coins in, things like that. You didn't lay any hands on me then. But now, your heart's being revealed. Maybe when there's a little bit of threat to your life or your livelihood or your position of power and sway. In some ways, it's treating Jesus as convenience. Uh, when it's convenient for me, you can kind of talk and do your thing. There's a point where that stops. Um, I mentioned a few weeks ago, actually, I think the week prior, uh, some of the rather famous atheists who have given their lives to Jesus. And most recently, one of them uh, that I mentioned was Ayan Hirsi Ali. I didn't mention her story, though. Some of you know her story. Um, after uh, suffering genital mutilation as a young girl, uh, she escaped a, a fundamentalist Islamic a setting where she was, uh, where there, she was in an arranged marriage, and she found refuge in the Netherlands. Um, soon after 9/11, she very publicly gave up her faith in Islam and and came out as an atheist. Um, she publicly disavowed Islam, and specifically because of how repressive and harmful it has been to women. Okay, um, some of you will remember this. I remember this pretty clearly. Um, after she did that, uh, one of her collaborators, the, the filmmaker Theo Van Gogh, uh, he was violently murdered by Muslim extremists. And specifically, they, they actually pinned a note on his body saying, Kirsi Ali, you're next to die. And yet, she continued to tell this story of how harmful Islam is to women, and specifically how she found atheism to be that sort of philosophy that gave her the most, uh, the most, the, the, the greatest conviction of how civilization should be run. And so her voice became prominent with the likes of you know, Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins. So she continued to write. She wrote actually a memoir of her. Uh, movement away from Islam called Infidel. And then she wrote a second book, uh, an autobiography uh, named, uh, titled Nomad. And she kept insisting, do not follow God. Give up on this God idea. Now, um, what happened is that this fall, she also produced an essay that was widely circulated. Maybe some of you read it. 
It was titled, Why I Am Now a Christian. And of course, uh, the incredibly interesting thing uh, is in some ways that there's this massive shift in this person that has this great voice for atheism, right? That's very, very interesting. Um, she had two decades of just adamantly saying atheism is the way to go. And now she becomes a Christian. But um, you might have heard there was actually quite a bit of backlash on this essay that she wrote. And I sort of want to tell you why, okay? Her subtitle for that, that essay was, Atheism Can't Equip Us for Civilizational War. And here C.A. Lee was sort of known as somebody who was in, the, the, uh, in these debates about uh, what kind of civilization do we want? So she actually was pretty outspoken against the face coverings in France when that was a big debate a little while ago. And she was pretty uh, involved in some other debates about what kind of civilization do we want? So the pushback on her article was that she was using sort of this new Christian faith as an instrumentalist kind of approach. What can she get out of Christianity for her goals? Uh, her article said things like this, for, as an example. The legacy, um, the Judea, Judean Christian legacy, consists of an elaborate set of ideas and institutions designed to safeguard human life, freedom, and dignity, which she's commending. From the nation state and the rule of law to the institutions of science, health, and learning. As Tom Holland, the British historian, has shown in his marvelous work, Dominion, all sorts of apparently secular freedoms of the market, of conscience, and of the press. They find their roots in Christianity. And she says, this is why I am now a Christian. Of course, I can't, I don't know where her heart is, and it seems like she's certainly very interested in Christian faith. But here's something that's wild. In this whole article, this whole essay she wrote about why she's a Christian, she doesn't mention Jesus once. Never mentions Jesus, but has a lot to say about the benefits of a Christian, sort of, uh, of, of a civilization that's rooted in Christianity. So, the, the pushback, which I think is at least a legitimate question, is, is she just using Christian faith for her own ends? For the ideals that she already held dear, and she has Jesus now as a way of supporting her own ends, or her own things that she believes in. Turn with me uh, in your bulletins to the inside cover, our meditation page. It's a rather long quote from C.S. Lewis, the great British author, professor of the first part of the last century. This is from his book, The Screwtape Letters, which is a masterful work that I'd commend to you. Um, it's, a, it's a book that uh, is composed of letters from a senior demon to a, a lesser demon on how he should tempt his patient, okay? Listen to this. We do, I feel like I should say this in a demonic voice, but I don't really know how to do that very well. We do want, <laughs> and, and want very much, to make men treat Christianity as a means Preferably, of course, as a means to their own advancement, but failing that as a means to anything, even to social justice. To, thing, 
The thing to do is to get a man at first to value social justice as a thing which the enemy, God, he's saying the enemy is God, demands, and then work him onto the stage at which he values Christianity because it may produce social justice. For the enemy will not be used as convenience. Men or nations who think they can revive the faith in order to make a good society might just as well think they can use the stairs of heaven as a shortcut to the nearest chemist's shop. Fortunately, it is quite easy to coax humans round this little corner. Only today I found a passage in a Christian writer where he recommends his own version of Christianity on the grounds that only such a faith can outlast the death of old cultures and the birth of new civilizations, which is exactly what here C. Lee was saying, actually, in her essay. You see the little rift? Believe this, not because it is true, but for some other reason. That's the game. Um, now, maybe I should say this. C.S. Lewis was a big advocate of social justice. But his point is immensely important. One of the greatest temptations for us is just to use God. To use Christianity. Um, to use the name of Jesus for our gain, for our goals, for our purposes, for our ends, for the things we already value. Um, so we come to Luke. Uh, in our passage, you know, there's these two short narratives. There's the one where Jesus mocked and beaten and then brought before uh, these religious leaders. And I think both of these passages are at least getting at the idea of using God for our means. Okay, so let me explain these, okay? The first little passage there, I think, gets at the idea of using God uh, for our strength, uh, demonstrating what ability we might have. Okay, so look with me down. Hopefully you still have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 22, verse 63. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him, as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? He said many other things against him, blaspheming him. A little passage, and it's, it's a really ugly passage. It's a really ugly scene. Maybe like the person uh, that joins the police force for all the wrong reasons, you know? show off some sort of machismo, to wield a gun, um, to project strength. Uh, Jesus had been arrested. He was awaiting this, this first trial that he would, he would be in. Uh, and, these men's ha- and these men had their clubs and their swords. We know that from earlier when they arrested him. And they're watching over him. And here's probably part of what they were thinking. Like, this man... That is now under our control. I mean, he had done great things. We saw him in the temple teaching all these crowds. We'd heard that he could heal people. But look at us now. Look at how we can treat him however we want. It's a very ugly scene. They took, they took the opportunity to use Jesus as a way of projecting themselves. Uh, they're they're kind of like the bully, right? At school who just projects strength. Try to be seen in a certain kind of light. 
a false strength, making fun of others, beating up on others. Um, They have Jesus in their custody, and he isn't going anywhere. And they decide, oh, we'll take this opportunity to show off. Mock this supposed God. Look how strong we are. It's kind of pathetic, and yet it's somewhat understandable. Uh, It's not actually something that's totally foreign to us. Uh, If you read Christopher Hitchens, you know that he largely uh, made his platform off of making fun of Christian faith. Uh, Sam Harris, that famous uh, atheist, also did the same. Um, Hitchens called uh, Jesus Santa Claus for adults. And it gets a laugh. And it gets money. Um, You've probably, like me, heard plenty of conversations in coffee shops and elsewhere where people mock Christian faith and Christian ideas. Um, to get others to think well of them, maybe to get a laugh, these kinds of things. So what I'm suggesting to you is these men in this little scene in some ways are looking at Jesus and they're using him. Now, not in the positive way that, you know, Kiersey Ali was doing, but in a way of saying, look at the strength that I have over this supposed God. Uh, If you look down the next section, I think this actually shifts, but it's still kind of getting at this same idea that we use God. Okay. And here we don't see this engagement with Jesus for the sake of projecting strength, but actually protecting power. Okay? They're engaging with Jesus for their own sake to protect power. Verse 66. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council. And they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, You will not believe. Now, if I ask you, you will not answer. First, I just want to say that that's a strange way that Jesus answered them, right? And it's totally typical of Jesus. Jesus often doesn't answer answer people's questions. He often doesn't engage with them just like they want to be engaged with. Partly, that's because he sees actually what's really going on. And what's really happening here is they want to engage with Jesus so that they can protect their own power. They'll converse with him. They'll have him right there so that they can protect their own power. They say, if you are the Christ, if you're the Messiah, you know, Christ being the the Greek word for Messiah. And uh, what we know is that in the time of Jesus, this is from uh, Josephus' book, The Jewish Wars, what we know is that there were at least about a dozen other Jewish messiahs around that same time, and most of them were done away with by the Romans because they posed a political threat. And so they're asking this question, are you the Christ, specifically because if, if he can actually start to say that, then they can keep power. So they're engaging with Jesus for their own ends of keeping their own power. If they could categorize Jesus in this kind of way, they could continue with what they're doing. So um, they saw engagement with Jesus here, uh, and they, they carefully crafted their words, and their intent with this was using Jesus for their own purposes, Right? Now, um, hopefully if I've explained this well enough, it is easy to see how common this is. 
it's really easy to see how many people will engage with Jesus for their own sake, for their own protection of their power, for their own projection of their strength. Let me just suggest it like this. Look no further than major political candidates. Um, Take a deep dive into how many people and what kinds of people were at the Capitol on January 6th. Many of them, many of them claimed Christian faith. Um, There are so many people who either vow that they follow Jesus or actually on the flip side want nothing to do with Jesus simply for what they can get out of that. Right? Their engagement with Jesus is for their own sake. What kind of power can I grab out of this? What kind of strength can I receive? Um, There are so many people who come to Jesus because it gives them a spiritual reason for their pet political projects. Whether that be, as Hirsi Lee said, the safeguarding of human life, freedom of speech, the dignity of humanity, or as Lewis says, social justice, or other things like environmentalism. All of those things can be commendable. But the point, and this is Lewis's main point, is the best thing that, that, that Satan can do is, is to get you to use Jesus for your own purpose. Use him for your own sake. Use God for your own convenience. Um, I wanted to take this approach to this text, which I know is maybe a little bit different than what you expected. Um, Because I think it's easy to, to come at this text and go, man, look at these guys making fun of our Lord and beating him. Or looking at the religious leaders and going, oh man, these religious leaders, and just kind of dismissing the whole narrative and not letting it hit us a little bit. Right? Kind of just holding it at a distance as these kind of crazies out there. But we are in the season of Lent, right? Jed mentioned it's the second Sunday of Lent, which is a season of repentance. Uh, a season of, of, of introspection, of, of self-examination of wondering, what is it that I have done that has led to the death of my Lord? We do a great disservice to ourselves if we do not ask ourselves, how are we engaging with Jesus like this? How are we using our Lord? How are we saying, God, you know, do this for my convenience? And I think this is why I get introduced this sermon with this question, why are you a Christian? Are you a Christian because it is true or because you can get something out of it? It can bolster some sort of thought you already have, some sort of way of being in the world, a certain kind of civilization that you value. God will not be used as a convenience. He will not. So how does uh, Jesus go on to answer these religious leaders, right? Um, One thing I highlighted was that he doesn't really answer their question, are you the Christ? Just typical of Jesus. But instead, he actually points them to a different title for himself. Um, The same one, actually, that he mentioned to Judas in the garden just before. He says this, but from now on, The Son of Man, this is verse 69, 
But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And he's grabbing this image from Daniel chapter 7 that Don read for us. But I want to read to you, uh, this to you again, okay? This is Daniel chapter 7. It said, I saw in the night visions, this is Daniel, and behold, the clouds of heaven, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And I think what Jesus is getting at with this is he's saying, you want to use me for your, in in just, you know, some small way for your own ends, for your own political purposes, for building your own sense of, of purpose in the world or your own sort of kingdom or your own political party or whatever it is. You want to categorize me as the Christ so that you can use me or so the Romans can engage with me in a certain way. You want to to use me at your convenience. And he's saying, no, I'm the son of man. And the one who's going to be given dominion and power and glory. And all nations and all tribes and all languages will fall before me. He says, I will not fit into your little kind of idea of how you can use me. I'm far beyond all of this. It's not the way it works. I'm not some small tribal deity. I'm the true God. I'm not a pet God. I'm not a God to just use or to abuse at your convenience. He says, I will not be mocked. I will not be used. So, so I, just, I, want, I want to invite you into ask, asking this question this morning. Why are you engaging with Jesus? Why are you a Christian? I mean, the, again, the, flips, the other question is actually just as fair. Why are you not a Christian? How are you engaging with Jesus? Do you want to use him? Do you want him to be at your convenience? Or is he Lord? Is he truly the true God? The one who's over all things and demands our allegiance? Quite simply, why are you a Christian? Why are you following Jesus? Is it because Jesus bolsters some sort of view of civilization? It supports your idea of social justice. Does Jesus give you a warm feeling that you like? Or is it true? Is he really Lord of all? Ask yourself today, why am I following Jesus? Why do I engage with him? I want you to sit in that question for a minute and then I'll pray for us.
Lord, I think of how uh, Easter is uh, coming and how so often around Easter, the magazines and the aisles at the grocery store are filled with uh, Jesus this and Jesus that. Somehow they keep being produced because somehow they keep selling and making somebody money. People using your story for their gain. And Lord Jesus, we, we know in this election year that again you will be paraded about in people's stump speeches to gather votes. And God, we know, we know this is true of us too. That these aren't uh, sins that were unique to these men who wielded swords and clubs in the courtyard long ago, grabbing, projecting strength. And these uh, sins were not unique to the elders, the chief priests and the scribes and the leaders of the temple who put you to trial, wanting to protect their power. God, this sin is also true of us. That we often think of you as some tribal deity and we need to hear you say that you are the son of man who is seated on high. You will not be some pet deity. God, I pray that you would purify our hearts. That we might come to you, falling down and worshiping you, for you're the true God. Not for what we can grab from you, not for how we can use you. Because of who you are, what you have done. God, in this season of repentance, Move within us that we might search our hearts and then fall down and worship. Move in us this way, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Second City Sermons podcast. We hope this sermon has encouraged you to worship God and to celebrate the gospel of Jesus. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and joining us in person each Sunday at 10 a.m. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening. God bless.